Camille here. Thank you for listening to The Summons. Today, Tess and I have a special guest, Abna Kwachi Burko from the United Nations Dispute Tribunal. And we're joined by Kate Fisher-Doherty from the Public Interest Law Initiative to talk about jobs and internships with the United Nations and other international organisations. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so this show is really an insight um, into what it's like working at the UN. So Abana, could you tell us what your role is at the UN? Okay. I happen to be a strange creature that they call a registrar. And basically, the registrar of the UN Dispute Tribunal, um, and if you repeat this anywhere, I will definitely uh, pretend it never happened, <laughs> but I get to babysit the judges. <laughs> <laughs> Do they know that? <laughs> yeah. Um, the registrar is basically the manager of the court or of the tribunal. And the UN Dispute Tribunal is um, an employment slash labor court meant solely okay. for UN staff members. And the reason we have our own internal um, mechanism is because the United Nations cannot be sued in any national jurisdiction. And that's because of privileges and immunities, a topic I will not get into. Mm -hmm. it's, it's too complicated and too icky. Right, but because of immunities, um, you cannot sue the organization even if you work with it. So under international human rights law, every organization must have some kind of mechanism in place where staff members um, can have all of their grievances addressed. So in 2009, the General Assembly came up with all of these resolutions and established the dispute tribunal. Um, there are three seats of the tribunal, one in New York, Nairobi, and then Geneva. So I'm the one who ended up in Nairobi. Um, wow. Yeah, so my job on a day-to-day -day basis is just to make sure the court runs. Okay. And to make sure the judges have the support they need to be able to, you know, hear cases and then render decisions. This can go from making sure they have water on the table <laughs> to drink, yeah. right, um, to doing all kinds of complex research for them on issues. Um, well, let me just go back for a second. Some of the judges, or most of the judges, have never worked with the organization. So oh, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. So coming into the organization, the rules and regulations of the United Nations are very new to them, very different from mm -hmm. anything you would see in a national jurisdiction. So, you know, they come in and we, the lawyers, um, become the backbone for the judges, right? And we advise them on all issues, we advise them on the rules and regulations, anything that's internal. And then it's a mixed hybrid system between civil law and common law. Yes, it's, it's a funny marriage. So, you know, in terms of common law, we use the more adversarial approach. Mm. And the civil law does not do that. You have the judge becoming <laughs> the prosecutor, basically, right? So we're trying to marry these two systems. So, you know, we, as the lawyers, try to focus the judges into this hybrid system. And we try to provide them with research as much as possible from both systems. Um, but then the emphasis is more on UN-related rules and regulations, 
more than anything else. You know, so I do that. Um, I supervise the lawyers, the legal assistants in the office. Mm -hmm. um, we have dedicated courtrooms, and in Nairobi, it's very complicated because communication is a huge issue, mm -hmm. right? So getting a telephone to work is a big issue. Mm -hmm. Getting hold of witnesses is a tremendous issue because our clients are spread across Africa, wow. right? And we have witnesses sitting, I don't know, in the most remote areas in Mali, um, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Liberia, they're all over, right? And you need to find these witnesses, they're on cell phones, and <laughs> you're trying to have a hearing. Right, and sometimes you don't even know if it's the witness. Because you've only got them on the you phone. You only have them on the phone. Wow. That's, yeah. um, that's very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, once we have any issues with that, then it becomes my job to find them and hopefully put them on a video conference or even move the tribunal from Nairobi to Mali, if need be. Oh, that's interesting. How often does the court... Um, just it, it moves on an as-needed basis, or is there a circuit that no, follows? No, it's as-needed. And so far, we've moved the tribunal to Cairo. Um, we had a case where the witnesses did not speak English. It was only Arabic. And we could not find any Arabic translators, so we moved the tribunal to Cairo um, just because of language issues. And then we've had hearings in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and that was solely because... We had problems with the witnesses. The judge realized that she was being conned by the witnesses, so we moved. And then we've gone to Ethiopia, Addis Ababa. Wow. So a very busy and exciting role then. It's, it's yeah. very, very busy. Um, it's the busiest duty station, and that's solely because we deal with all the peacekeeping missions. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the courts in the UNDT system are divided geographically and... Yes. Obviously, Nairobi would cover all of Africa, so all of those peacekeeping missions. Yes. Um, peacekeeping missions in other places as well, though, do they, or do they go to other It also tribunals? goes by region, right? So, like, the peacekeeping mission in Haiti would belong under the jurisdiction of the New York Tribunal, and then you have a few um, offices sitting out in, like, Cambodia, Anywhere in Asia, that goes to Geneva. Mm -hmm. And we cover the whole of Africa and then, you know, bits of uh, the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we, we have a, a large caseload. And that's because peacekeeping budgets are being cut. Okay. Right, and you're talking about people's livelihood. And the minute you touch someone's livelihood, right, they immediately come to the tribunal looking for redress. Absolutely. So what made you want to work with the United Nations? Was this um, a career aspiration of yours from a young age, and how did this evolve? You'd be surprised. I fell into it. Um, and it's, I actually went to law school with a view to becoming an immigration lawyer. Okay, and you States. studied in the U.S.? Yeah. Yes, I did, yeah, yeah. Um, in California. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be an immigration lawyer, so I took courses geared towards immigration law. And then... I started immigration practice and I thought, oh my God, this has got to be the worst place ever. <laughs> it's actually worse than family court. Sorry to all those immigration lawyers or wannabe lawyers out there. 
and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I thought it was really bad. Because in terms of due process, mm. um, I realized very quickly that there is no due process in immigration court or in immigration practice. You would go with the client into um, what they would call a conference, and you're not allowed to speak. The lawyer is not allowed to speak. You're just allowed to sit there and take notes. So your client could be saying things which are very prejudicial, mm -hmm. but you cannot speak. Yeah. And at that point, I thought, mm, this is not going to work for me. And then two, of course, you have all the codes, you have the regulations which govern immigration law. But then I quickly realized that immigration law is very arbitrary, right? And they don't necessarily follow the rules. So it became a bit difficult for me mm -hmm. to tell my clients that this is the way it'll go, mm -hmm. right, with mm -hmm. any certainty. So it was fun in the beginning, but then after a while I thought, this is not for me. But I did an internship with the United Nations when I was in law school. And oh, wow. it kind of hung out in the back of my mind. And, you know, the very first day I walked into the UN building in New York, I thought, hmm, this is sweet. <laughs> 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 it's really sweet because, I, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but you could see all of these nationalities running through the building, you'd get into the elevator, and it's like 13, 14, 15 different nationalities mm -hmm. in one tiny space. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this may do it for me. Mm -hmm. So I applied for a peacekeeping mission mm -hmm. in East Timor. And when I initially got there, I thought I had made a mistake. Maybe it really <laughs> wasn't the right thing for me to do because it wasn't comfortable. But then the work kept me there. Yes. 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 And I've just become a field person after that. Amazing. Yes. You, you were in East Timor in 2000, 2001. So it must have been a fairly challenging time. Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm interested in, um, if it's okay, uh, with the two of you of asking about your internship experience at Absolutely. the UN, because I, I think that would certainly be of interest to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. our JD mm -hmm. students, sure. perhaps um, thinking about international sure. careers generally. Sure. Sure. So did you do, uh, which um, area of the UN did you do your internship with? I actually ended up in a division called codification. So to not make it so American, codification. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, so Americans would say codification. Um, and it's part of the bigger office called the Office of Legal Affairs. And this is the office that advises um, the Secretary General on legal issues. So, you know, they have this really, really tiny division which just deals with treaties and um, amending treaties. So I spent four months sitting in the library and <laughs> <laughs> never saw the sun, just looking at one treaty. Goodness. Yeah, on very unconventional weapons. So that's all I did, because they were trying to um, amend that section of the code. So that's all I did the whole summer. But in terms of internship opportunities, the UN is full of them. Mm. Um, and the one thing I would love to emphasize is that just because you go to law school doesn't necessarily mean you need 
to legal. Mm -hmm. Very important. Law school prepares you to do just about anything and everything because it gives you the analytical ability, mm -hmm. right? So um, if the students are looking for internship opportunities, of course, the Office of Legal Affairs in New York is there. Um, and then all of the offices or most of the agencies, funds, and programs also have lawyers who appear before the tribunals. Mm -hmm. So you have something called the administrative law section. Mm -hmm. So they appear before the dispute tribunal. Um, of course, you have UNHCR, you have OCHA, you have UNDP, you have UNICEF. All of these organizations use lawyers. Mm -hmm. So you can be a representative or you can go into human rights, you can go into humanitarian affairs, and they all have internships. But in terms of the tribunal, um, there are only two seats, Nairobi and Geneva, where we actually have the internship program. Mm -hmm. And you would have to go into Inspira, Inspira, I think it's Inspira.org, Mm -hmm. Right, so you'd have to go in there and it will list all of the internship opportunities. And as soon as I get back into Nairobi, I will be putting up, um, there should be two vacancies for um, interns coming oh, up really fantastic. soon. Fantastic. Yes, right. well, we can certainly put a link to that definitely. Um, mm -hmm. on the Pili website and um, let okay. students know if they might mm -hmm. be interested. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple of um, students uh, do internships with the UN. Um, I also supervise the legal internship subject um, and we've had students go to the UNDP um, okay. in Cambodia I think um, I, I need to sort of look back um, and also a student who went to work in Bangkok um, on a human trafficking um, okay. program based okay. there so um, you know so, and they were I guess legal policy type roles that they were doing right, right. so really really sort of very interesting sort of challenging mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. challenging work well I mean if if uh, anyone ends up any of the the law students end up with the tribunal um, in Nairobi my focus is to really turn the law student into the legal officer um, Amazing. Yeah, in the UN, <laughs> lawyers are called legal <clears throat> officers, mm -hmm. right? So from the very beginning, I try to get the intern to hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. So I do the initial briefing, and then you're assigned to a judge. I think that's the best thing for an intern. Yeah, you're yeah. assigned to the judge, and they treat you like a legal officer. So you're expected to do the research. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, the judges will not give you, you know, the guidance. So they just tell you, go do research on this issue, right? And yeah, you need to find the right places to be able to find what they need. Mm -hmm. And you actually do drafting. Drafting of mm -hmm. orders, drafting of judgments. You assist with that. You go to court. You take notes for the judge. And most importantly, you sit in and you discuss mm -hmm. You're part of the deliberation process, yeah. right? So that's how we do it in Nairobi. Geneva is a little bit more different. Um, their focus is more research-oriented, mm -hmm. right? But I do it differently because I want um, the interns to have that experience and to be able to walk away and say, this is something I would like to do. Absolutely. Or it's something I definitely don't ever mm -hmm. want to do again. So, And what sort of 
qualities and skills and experience are you looking for in your interns? Um, to be quite honest with you, I prefer students who are at the very, I guess, beginning, um, who haven't really built up the bad habits of, I know everything. <laughs> because once you come in, um, you'll realize very quickly that you actually know nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, so. that's not often what students hear. They usually hear that they have to have plenty of experience and all these things. So that's actually really an interesting insight for us. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, I, I take a very different approach because mm -hmm. it's my job as the older attorney, mm -hmm. it's my job, right, um, to mentor you and to supervise you. So if you're coming in and you're already experienced, what's the point of the internship? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I see it very differently. So um, I, I tend to encourage everyone to apply, mm -hmm. and the application process is pretty much the same. You apply, we do a review of all of um, the PHPs, the CVs. Mm -hmm. We do a review of it, and this is done in conjunction with the judges. Yes, because at the end of the day, you will be working with the judge more than you'll work with me. Mm -hmm. And then um, once we come up with a short list, then we have interviews. Well, I have the lawyers who will work with the interns do the, um, the interviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we take it from that. Amazing. Wow. Right. And right. for students who perhaps uh, aren't able to do an internship at the UN but are still very much interested mm -hmm. in getting involved with the organisation, in their careers in the future, mm -hmm. what would you advise them to focus on while at law school in terms of experience or studies? Um, well, seeing that the UN is a human rights-based organization, mm. um, as much as possible, I would say take as many human rights-related courses mm -hmm. as you can. Since my focus was not the United Nations, I did not do that in law school, right? You know, I probably took maybe one course in human rights, and at the end of the day, it comes back to you, especially if you end up in the field of um, peacekeeping, mm -hmm. because peacekeeping is nothing but human rights, Yeah. right? Um, and going in for me, it was quite a learning curve, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because you, you constantly, or you're constantly being called on um, to advise the head of mission on this treaty and that treaty and this convention and that convention. And if that knowledge is missing, then it means you have a lot of research to do, right? Um, there's something called the Status of Forces Agreement, which is incorporated into every single peacekeeping um, operation. And the basis for the Status of Forces Agreement, of course, would be um, the Universal uh, Declaration of Human Rights and, you know, mm -hmm. all of those other human rights treaties, they're all embedded into this document. Mm -hmm. And for you to be able to sit at a table and negotiate, because that is the job of the legal office, you negotiate with the government. Mm -hmm. You need to have that background, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, just to take a, a bit of a, a detour, mm -hmm. um, peacekeeping legal officers do something completely different from what I do for the tribunal. It's your job to protect the interest of the organization, mm. right? And at the tribunal, we don't really play a role where it's sitting in the middle. Um, but in peacekeeping, you start off by, one, negotiating 
it's called the SOFA, Status of Forces Agreement, mm -hmm. SOFA. So you start off by negotiating the SOFA, and <clears throat> I've been privileged enough to do two of those. One, <clears throat> excuse me, um, for the mission in Sudan, and then one for the mission in Darfur. And what you're doing is you're negotiating the right of access to refugees and IDPs. <clears throat> you're negotiating um, freedom of movement for the troops, the police, and also for human rights officers, mm -hmm. everyone in the mission. You're negotiating the mission's right to have communications. Yes, and you know, just to take a, a slight detour, when we were negotiating um, for the mission in Darfur, <clears throat> we had a lot of national security um, in the room with us, and they did not want us to have our own communication system yeah. <laughs> for a very good reason, mm -hmm. right? So those negotiations were very, very tricky, and it took a while, mm -hmm. right, to get everyone around the table to agree that the UN needed to have its own communication system um, and to be independent of the government. So mm -hmm. these are all things that go in um, into the work of a legal officer in the field. And there's a whole lot more that we also do. That's uh, fascinating. Yes. <laughs> and, and very challenging, um, you know, particularly some of those, you know, missions um, in Africa, given the situation. And, and I guess the... Um, your current job sounds, you know, um, perhaps a lot safer in some ways than some of those missions in the field. Um, that a day in your life in the field would mm -hmm. look quite different to now. How did you manage some of those challenges, um, I guess, on a sort of professional and personal level? Well, <clears throat> um, leaving peacekeeping... It, it was a bit difficult um, because I left peacekeeping and then I joined the office of the Deputy Secretary General in New York. Yeah, so it was almost like you're going from this high challenge area into a, a box. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, which, which was tough for me because I've been doing peacekeeping at a very, very high level in Sudan. Um, a typical day for me in Sudan would probably begin around 5 o'clock with the head of mission calling to say, oops, someone has been arrested. You need to go get them out. <laughs> like, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Who in the world am I talking to? So you go from there to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to try and talk to people, and then you go from there to the Ministry of Interior to talk to the police, and then, you know, at least be able to see the staff member speak with security, get them out, and then, you know, while you're doing all of this, you know, HR issues are also brewing, procurement issues are brewing, you know, it's, it's a constant mesh of one emergency after another, mm -hmm. right? My current job, yeah, you know, um, we get um, interlocutory motions. Um, you may have a staff member who's losing his or her job maybe the next day, right? Mm -hmm. And... You know, the feeling is always due process has not been followed. So, you know, let's say someone has not been given notice that their contract will not be renewed. And then they get this letter on the 29th saying, well, the 30th is your last day. So they come to the tribunal, and sometimes they will show up at 5 p.m. 
on the 29th. <laughs> wow. Right. So, yeah, you know, you're geared into action. You get the judge in place, legal officers, and immediately a motion goes out staying any action on the part of the organization. So that's the biggest emergency we have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything else, yeah, it, it just runs its course, but it's not as intense mm -hmm. yeah, as peacekeeping would be. So, I mean, for people who love intensity and challenges, peacekeeping is the way to go. Okay. Yeah. And when you were first applying to get into the UN, I'm interested in what that application process was like. So not the internship, but when you decided to leave immigration mm -hmm. or whether you were speaking with contacts you developed through your internship or whether it was much more of like a cold call situation and what the interview process was like, something that... Okay. Or just yeah. an online application. Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay. It's actually changed. Um, I joined the UN in 2000 and the whole application process has changed. So back then, to join peacekeeping, all you needed to do was to be alive. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 you're alive, you know, warm body. Um, but they had, uh, you would go over to UNHQ since I lived mm -hmm. in New York. So I could just go over to headquarters and then I put in my application in the office. And within a week or two, yeah, they called me for an interview. But the interesting thing is I was interviewed for a legal officer position. But then I showed up in Timor, and they said, oh, yeah, we need a board of inquiry officer, and I had no clue what that was. <laughs> so I had to create my own terms of reference, right? <laughs> Which is something that happened quite frequently between 2000 and 2009. So you would not necessarily end up in the position that you were hired for. That you were hired for. <laughs> right. But then we have <clears throat> a provision in the staff rules and regulations which allows the Secretary General or the organization to reassign you mm -hmm. as needed. Right. So that's what used to happen. But in 2009, they rehauled um, the hiring process. Right. So they put together Inspira. And peacekeeping was brought under the umbrella of Inspira. Mm -hmm. So everyone has to apply through Inspira, which is online. So you do um, pretty much your CV mm -hmm. online. And then as you see interesting jobs, you do the cover letter. And I hope everyone knows that you have to really focus your cover letter. Yes, yes. Yeah, there has to be a focus. And you need to bring out the skills which would be relevant to the job you're applying for, right? Because I do recruitment, and, yeah, I see a lot of cover letters which are just generic, mm. Mm. right? Yeah. And as a recruiter, looking at three to 400 applications, something generic yeah. doesn't do it's it. Out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think that's a really good piece of so, advice. Absolutely. Yeah, please focus. And in terms of the PHP itself, you know, try to be as brief as possible and mm -hmm. to get um, the relevant information up front immediately. Um, our online process also speaks about achievements. And I know that as law students, you know, you might think I have no achievements, but think of what you've done in law school. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you're on the bar review, you know, you're doing journals, you know, whatever it is, moot court, you make sure that you put these down. Mm -hmm. Or internship experiences, I mentioned. Yes, everything should come down in there, right? Um, 
so once you do the application, you send it in, and um, the computer automatically looks at the qualifications. And mm -hmm. if you're qualified, then you move on in the process, and the recruiter actually gets to see um, your PHP. Yeah. And then, you know, we take it from there. What I always do, since it's essential for a lawyer to be able to write, mm -hmm. and I realize that a lot of lawyers don't know how to write, <laughs> no, it's true. It's true, unfortunately. So um, I prefer to have a written assessment mm -hmm. where the lawyer has to draft something. Mm -hmm. And then if you can move on from the written assessment, so it's writing and analyzing. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what I'm testing. Mm -hmm. And then you move on into the interview, and then, yeah, we do the selection. Wow. Um, and I think I'll take it back now for mm -hmm. our Camino's final question, I think, is sort of centred on you've done the JD and you know how stressful and tough it can be. And what we like to ask our guests um, is to look back on that experience, share a little about their time in law school and some advice they might give to current JD students. <laughs> that was a scary period. Um, and it's really true. You know, American law schools, they actually tell you to look to the left and look to the right, and guess what? The people sitting on both sides will not be there next year. And, yeah, it's done in law school, and they mean it. Wow. Because people drop the hundred grand. Yes, so people drop out. Some people just fail out. Yeah. 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 So, wow. one, um, I found law school to be one of the most stressful experiences ever. Mm -hmm. um, after the first month, I wanted to quit so badly. <laughs> but then I realized that if I managed to get through it, the training would be invaluable. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yes, any first-year law student who's listening to this, um, you know, the first month, the first year is the toughest. But there's something called outlining. And I don't know if you do outlines here, but in the States, we do outlines of every single subject. And the outline is basically, if you think of criminal law, every single crime has an element. Mm -hmm. okay. And every single case that you read in law school goes to an element of the crime. Okay, so, yeah. uh -huh. so basically, um, let's say you're talking about homicide, right? So the very first case that we read in law school defined a human being. So your outline starts with a human being. And then you just keep on going, right? Building Until you have your crime. Um, it's extremely structural. And that's how we're taught to think in the States, mm -hmm. by outline. Mm -hmm. And then you're also taught to do issue, rule, analysis, conclusion, the IRAC. IRAC model, yeah. IRAC, okay. And that's something I think a lot of lawyers forget once they start practicing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they forget IRAC and they just throw everything in there. IRAC is essential um, for law school exams um, and for practice afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, getting through law school for me was just... Mm -hmm. 
total fear of failure. <laughs> <laughs> that's what got me through law school. I was just afraid. But that's good to hear. I think we may have said that to each other before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. think they're alone yeah. in that fear, but and you make a lot true. of decisions out of fear. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, about yeah, yeah. Overcoming that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's all about fear. It's a it's a fear of the teachers calling on you in class and you not being prepared. So yeah. But I was really lucky because no one could pronounce my name. <laughs> <laughs> so you think they skipped over yeah. you? They did. Saved. They so saved. Tests, there we tests, go. There's no. Yeah, no. There's no hiding. No, unfortunately. No hope. No hope. <laughs> well, if I could jump in at the risk of sort of being a little bit self-serving for our program, um, something that students sometimes say to me um, about the internship program is that that can provide a bit of respite or a bit of perspective mm -hmm. when you are feeling under the pump or, or just sort of, um, you know, consumed by law school, that the opportunity to get out and put your skills into practice or at least see a bit of what practice might involve can give you a bit of energy for coming back in. Um, and I know both of you, mm -hmm. Tess and Camille, have done internships. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that... You know, certainly what students say to me is that it can give you a bit of energy, you know, for that final right, year right, or, you know, right, final 18 months. Right, right. It's good experience. So, yeah, I would recommend internships and not, you know, just focus in one area because I also interned with um, the Legal Aid Society. Okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah so mm. if you can get a broad spectrum of internships, I yes. would say do it. Yes. Yeah, look, I, I tend to think that any experience... Um, or that no experience is wasted, mm -hmm. um, even if mm -hmm. you decide that that's definitely not an, an area that you want to mm -hmm. go into, that's a really good thing to learn, as you did, I guess, by working in immigration. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. you've got to do mm -hmm. it to realise you know, how you feel about it. That's it. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, we'll be sure to post some of those resources that were mentioned on our show notes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank well, you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>